brother. Jay, we are at minimum a year and a half away before we discover what happens in the next chapter of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. And with the inevitable filming delays due to the coronavirus, I have a feeling it's even further out than that. But hey, I've basically got unlimited time to think about this without a scrap of new information to go off of. So I figured what better time to count down the top seven predictions for what's gonna happen in the rest of the series. So let's just dive right on in with number seven. Hagrid makes an appearance. I mean, come on. It's called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. How on earth could we possibly have this entire series without seeing the biggest beast lover in the entire franchise? Pun intended. This is one where I actually feel like there's a lot to go off of, and his inclusion in the story could go so far beyond basic fan service, which is what I am forced to believe is what they were doing with Minerva McGonagall in the last movie, but whatever, I'm over it. Except, you know what? I'm not. You're going to force Time Turners to come into play again. That's the only way that she can be there, and you're going to have to take this small little cameo and make an entire storyline about it because of why? Why? But anyway, Hagrid, I feel like there is a great opportunity to tell like essential and meaningful full backstory to the relationship between Hagrid and Dumbledore. And maybe just give us a little bit more context specifically into why Dumbledore trusts Hagrid so much. Because let's face it, Hagrid kind of drops the ball a lot. I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have told you that. You know who he also should have not told you that? Voldemort on how to get past Fluffy. That's a whoopsies. First, let's talk timeline, just so we know what we're working with. The series should culminate in 1945 if they stick to the existing canon with the duel between Grindelwald and Dumbledore taking place in that year. To be fair though, I will say that's a big all should. Because so far we are two parts into a five part series that is supposed to end in 1945 that did start in 1926 and so far has made it to 1927. Although I will say at the current rate at which they are filming and releasing these movies, it might literally take 19 years. So at the very least, the actors will have aged that much and it will be convincing. Sorry, back to the timeline. We know that the Chamber of Secrets was opened for the first time 50 years prior to when it opened when Harry is in school, meaning it first happened in 1942, which of course would then be the same year that Hagrid is expelled from the school and kept on as gamekeeper. And this particular decision by Dumbledore could be as easily explained as he is suspicious of Tom Riddle, does not believe that Hagrid actually opened the Chamber of Secrets, and is willing to provide him with a place to live and a job so that a orphan boy doesn't have to go and try to make it on his own. But that would probably better explain why Hagrid is forever loyal to Dumbledore more than the other way around. The other detail that we know about Hagrid's expulsion is that when he was expelled, his wand was snapped in half. And yet... So ultimately, Hagrid has a functioning wand somehow, some way. We also know that Grindelwald has the Elder Wand, the only wand capable of repairing other wands. So here is my theory. In the final installment of the Fantastic Beasts series, the greatest lover of Fantastic Beasts that we have in the entire series will show up and help Dumbledore in such a way that results in the outcome of Dumbledore winning that duel. As a reward, Dumbledore will use his newly won Elder Wand to repair Hagrid's wand and 
forever trust him. I would trust Hagrid with my life. And that brings me to number six. You can't talk about Hagrid during this particular time in the Wizarding World without bringing up another essential player to the Wizarding World. Tom Riddle. Like I said before, this franchise launched with a ton of runway left ahead of it, starting in 1926 and needing to end in 1945. That is a 19-year spread that has to pass. But there is a very specific reason why I think that is absolutely critical to the story, why they specifically choose 1926 of all years. Tom Riddle himself is born on December 31st, Wait for it, 1926. To me, that feels like so much more than a coincidence, and I think that it paints an interesting potential set of motives for our villain, Grindelwald. One of the newer bits of information that we have about Grindelwald's character is that he is a seer, and with that, he has a little bit more insight into what might be happening in the future of the Wizarding World. We also know that his slogan is for the greater good, and that he has the Elder Wand, the wand that cannot lose, and that eventually he will lose that wand to Dumbledore. So you mean to tell me that the guy who can see into the future and also possesses the wand that cannot lose eventually loses to the key person he knows he probably will lose it to? I don't even need the math budget to tell you that that does not add up. So what if for the greater good has meaning even beyond what we can currently comprehend? Or maybe we can. Grindelwald says to Voldemort, in Deathly Hallows, there is so much you do not understand. That wand will never, ever be yours. To me, that says that Grindelwald knows something about the Elder Wand that everyone else doesn't. So what if the story that starts the year that Tom Riddle was born starts then because it was the year that Tom Riddle was born? And because Grindelwald is a seer, he knows what could potentially happen with the path of the Elder Wand. So the real underlying meaning of the greater good is everything Grindelwald has to do in order to determine the eventual fate of that wand. Meaning he will lose to Albus Dumbledore, the one person he knows will ensure it will never end up in the hands of Tom Riddle. But the only way to get Dumbledore to fight him is to basically start a world war. Let me be absolutely 100% crystal clear. This does not make Grindelwald or his actions redeemable in any way, but I will say that it makes for one heck of a compelling villain. Which brings me to number five, Dumbledore kills Credence. First off, this whole storyline is ridiculously hard to follow with the current amount of information that we have, especially when we're not even entirely sure whether or not Credence is like a person or a manifestation of the force. Sorry, I mean magic. I mean, Grindelwald tells us that he is a Dumbledore, which makes absolutely no sense based on everything else that we know about the Dumbledore family at any point in time. But at the same rate, a Phoenix does show up to Credence. So I, I don't know. Either way, he has never been mentioned or discovered at any point in time in the closer to the present Harry Potter series. And that's even with Rita Skeeter after Dumbledore trying to tarnish his name in the biggest way possible. And I'm sorry, but she doesn't miss stuff. Or, or just even at King's Cross, when Dumbledore is finally, after seven full books, just being as candid as ever. Like so much of what he's talking about is his relationship with Grindelwald during this period of time. And you don't think 
Credence comes up at any point. What we do know though, is that Credence and Nagini have formed a bond with one another. And at the end of Crimes of Grindelwald, we saw two pairs that kind of got split in half. Queenie opting to the dark and leaving Jacob and Credence doing the same to Nagini. And yet jumping to the present, we know that Nagini is just about as evil as you can possibly get being like the right hand serpent to Big Baldy himself. So like what must happen in order for Nagini who seems to be on the side of the good guys to ultimately pledge her allegiance against Dumbledore 100%. Till the end of all ends, with heads being chopped off. I'm awesome. <laughs> Plus, let's face it, Grindelwald has spent the last two movies setting up this particular fight, Credence versus Dumbledore. That's the whole plan. And we know that Dumbledore doesn't lose. So, number four. Newt's Farewell. We all know that Newt Scamander is our main guy and being played by Eddie Redmayne, personally, I could not love it anymore. And with the series being called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and with Newt having written a book called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, it sort of stands to reason that he would be our main character. Like, wouldn't it be weird if Harry Potter wasn't the main character of Harry Potter the Goblet of Fire? But either way, I have a feeling that's where we're headed. Newt is not a always going to be the main character. Oh, come on. This one goes back to an interview with the film's producer, David Heyman, just a week after the first movie hit theaters. This was back in November, 2016, when he said that he thought at some point, Newt's story might get sidelined to make room for the bigger Dumbledore Credence story. Now, I think there are two key arguments that would help prod this idea along. The first being that the inclusion of the beast in the main storyline felt a little bit like a force, especially once we got to the crimes of Grindelwald. For the first Fantastic Beast, it was sort of the plot of the movie. So it did make sense then. Like, was it all these beasts being let loose in New York City that were causing the problems? Or was it something else wreaking havoc? But in Crimes of Grindelwald, it felt like a total force. Like someone had to keep reminding them that beasts were supposed to be relevant to the plot somehow. So they have this whole circus of creatures that gets let loose and every once in a while, the story just runs into them. And then it's all like, oh, good thing Newt knows how to handle a Zowu. But other than trying to find ways to force beasts somehow into the plot so they continue to be relevant, the other key thing working here is that Newt really isn't directly involved with the underlying plot of the whole story. Newt has a couple of characteristics. One, he likes Tina. Two, he likes beasts. Three, he really doesn't like this guy. Same old Scamander. What is he doing here? Who apparently is dead. And even more importantly than that, Dumbledore is a fascinating character that all of us would like to know more information about. And the cliffhanger from Crimes of Grindelwald is about Dumbledore. And in 1945, the huge duel involves Dumbledore. And we've got this exchange between Dumbledore and Leto where he brings into the fold, like who killed his younger sister? Yeah, I'm sorry. If we're not barreling towards a Dumbledore origin story here, I have no idea what they're doing. Especially when the only real backstory we have for Newt at all is that he used to love of Lita and Lita go boom. Which brings me to number three, 
Lita not go boom. Okay, so here's the thing about Lita. They literally started laying the groundwork for this character in Fantastic Beast 1, where she had basically no role other than to have the right person cast for a photo that Newt is always carrying around with him in his case. It's pretty clear that Newt had a very close relationship with this person, and we do get to see a little bit more of that story play out, kind of. We learn that she's engaged to someone else, namely his brother. But because a magazine article got the story wrong, it compels Newt to go to Paris in order to confront Tina, something that he had already refused to do to Dumbledore. If I leave the country, they will put me in Azkaban and they will throw away the key. And the ministry. Okay. It's a really powerful misprint. So conveniently, Newt goes to where the plot is and boy oh boy if that isn't a proper payoff for including Lita in the first movie, of course it isn't! But okay, okay, we'll also learn that by sheer coincidence, this person, Credence, who also brought Newt and Tina together despite coming from completely different continents, is actually a common ground factor because he's actually a Lestrange, just like Newt's best friend Lita. I see where they're going, it's all coming together, and psych, it was all a fake out. The real Corvus Lestrange is dead. But man, that was almost interesting. So. Anyway, Newt and Lita had a childhood friendship, so of course she got engaged to his older brother, and then she got blown up. That character arc is about as good as a rainbow that got lost. <laughs> On top of that, in Dan Fogler's podcast, Who Plays Jacob, he interviews Zoe Kravitz, who plays Lita, and they tell us that this decision for her to die was actually a last minute decision. Which to me sounds like the original plan was for her to show up again. And on top of that, we've already seen one character get blown up and then return intact. And also a character's memory fully obliviated only to return. That's what I always say about these movies. Anything that is not fully intact is almost certainly going to be intact soon. Which brings me to number two. Gamora is still alive. And that brings me to number one. So is Black Widow. Just kidding. Those are different franchise also probably going to be videos. Nothing broken is ever broken for long. But on the flip side, people who are currently alive who are almost definitely going to die brings me to the real number two, Queenie's gonna die. I can see this happening for a couple of different reasons, but both of them stemming from the same core motivation. Love. Despite being super misguided, Queenie changes sides for love so that she can be with Jacob. And since everyone loves Jacob, I have a feeling the rest of their arc is going to be about him bringing her back to the light. The problem with that is she walked through those magical blue flames and I think there is a chance that she might have entered herself into a magically binding contract with Grindelwald. To the effect of, if she turns on Grindelwald, it will kill her. That might seem drastic, but again, if you go back to the Goblet of Fire, once again, we have a magically binding contract that also involves blue flames. If you enter into the Triwizard Tournament and the Goblet shoots out your name, you are compelled to compete. They never actually tell us what would happen to Harry if he doesn't compete, but when the alternative was making him fight a dragon, 
I have a feeling it's pretty bad. Alternatively though, I can also see Queenie dying in a very sacrificial kind of way. Something similar to the idea of the way that Lily Potter sacrificed herself for Harry, except in this case, she would do it for Jacob. And so then her arc can end with her choosing the right side ultimately, but also dying. Plus it would give Dumbledore a fantastic way to learn about this kind of protective magic to then later explain it to Harry. And that brings me to number one. Credence becomes Fox. We've made a theory before that Dumbledore actually becomes a phoenix at death. And if Credence is in fact actually a Dumbledore, then it stands to reason that he could too. Plus it would make him incredibly significant to the more recent Harry Potter series in that the phoenix cores that are in Voldemort and Harry's wands would literally come from Credence. We do know that Tom Riddle is supposed to get his wand in 1937. And as of right now, it's not entirely clear whether or not Dumbledore already has Fox. But we do also know that Credence is probably gonna fight Dumbledore soon and that Dumbledore doesn't lose that battle. On top of that, phoenixes are incredibly rare to be tamed by wizards at all. The only two that we know of are of course, Fox and the mascot for a Quidditch team somewhere. And Dumbledore doesn't exactly strike me as the type of person who's out there like trying to capture a mystical beast in order to have it as a pet. Which makes me think that one, he's going to acquire Fox soon and two, in some kind of a unique way. Plus, listen to how Harry describes the Phoenix song that he hears when him and Voldemort's wands connect in the graveyard. It was the sound of hope to Harry, the most beautiful and welcome thing he had ever heard in his life. He felt as though the song were inside him instead of just around him. It was the sound he connected with Dumbledore, and it was almost as though a friend were speaking in his ear. A friend indeed. And not for nothing, but Fox is named after the real life person Guy Fox, who infamously planned and failed to blow up the House of Lords and King James I in 1605, which might not sound that significant, but Nagini literally translates to snake woman. Guy Fox, snake woman. Guy means man. So in Harry Potter talk, Guy Fox translates to Phoenix Man. This one to me, I feel like just makes a lot of sense. You've kind of got like the snake and the phoenix and you can't really tell which side either is on, but you know where they ultimately end up. Guys, for my question of the day, which of these do you agree with? Are there any that sound absolutely right? Do you have any predictions of your own? Be sure to leave all of your thoughts in the towel section down below. But guys, as always, thanks for watching. Be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. If you'd like some more Harry Potter action from us, you can check out that complete video on how Dumbledore ultimately turns into a phoenix. Or if you'd like to know more about Hagrid's wand, you can check out this video right here. Otherwise, guys, until next time, bye.